Business Lesson 11. Stress in Your Body. Book 5. Business English. Vocabulary. Part 1. Page 82. Idleness. Intertwine. Replenish. Dense. Curb. Crave. Privation. Burnout. Sabotage. Stark. Insurmountable. Composition. Blue collar. Grassroots. Composition. Susceptible. Capitalism. Dense. Contraction. Article Part 2. Page 83. How Stress Affects Your Body Your adrenal gland releases the stress hormones cortisol, epinephrine, also known as adrenaline, and norepinephrine. As these hormones travel through your bloodstream, they easily reach your blood vessels and heart. Adrenaline causes your heart to beat faster and raises your blood pressure, over time causing hypertension. Cortisol can also cause the endothelium, or inner lining of blood vessels, to not function normally. Scientists now know that this is an early step in triggering the process of atherosclerosis or cholesterol plaque buildup in your arteries. Together, these changes increase your chances of a heart attack or stroke. When your brain senses stress, it activates your autonomic nervous system. Through this network of nerve connections, your big brain communicates stress to your enteric or intestinal nervous system. Besides causing butterflies in your stomach, this brain-gut connection can disturb the natural rhythmic contractions that move food through your gut leading to irritable bowel syndrome and can increase your gut sensitivity to acid, making you more likely to feel heartburn. Via the gut's nervous system, stress can also change the composition and function of your gut bacteria, which may affect your digestive and overall health. Speaking of digestion, does chronic stress affect your waistline? Well, yes. Cortisol can increase your appetite. It tells your body to replenish your energy stores with energy-dense foods and carbs causing you to crave comfort foods. High levels of cortisol can also cause you to put on those extra calories as visceral or deep belly fat. This type of fat doesn't just make it harder to button your pants. It is an organ that actively releases hormones and immune system chemicals called cytokines that can increase your risk of developing chronic diseases, such as heart disease and insulin resistance. Meanwhile, stress hormones affect immune cells in a variety of ways. Initially, they help prepare to fight invaders and heal after injury, but chronic stress can dampen the function of some immune cells, make you more susceptible to infections, and slow the rate at which you heal. Want to live a long life? You may have to curb your chronic stress. That's because it has even been associated with shortened telomeres, the shoelace tip ends of chromosomes that measure a cell's age. Telomeres cap chromosomes to allow DNA to get copied every time a cell divides without damaging the cell's genetic code, and they shorten with each cell division. When telomeres become too short, a cell can no longer divide, and it dies. As if all that weren't enough, chronic stress has even more ways it can sabotage your health, including acne, hair loss, sexual dysfunction, headaches, muscle tension, difficulty concentrating, fatigue, and irritability. So. What does all this mean for you? Your life will always be filled with stressful situations, but what matters to your brain and entire body is how you respond to that stress. If you can view those situations as challenges, you can control and master, rather than as threats that are insurmountable. You will perform better in the short run and stay healthy in the long run. Article Part 4, Page 84 What's the point? The rise of the anti-work movement. Unemployment for all, not just the rich, is the slogan of the growing movement. Founded in 2013 on the social media site, Reddit, anti-work started as a forum to discuss concepts and ideas questioning the validity of human labor. These are not new. 
1935, the British philosopher and mathematician Bertrand Russell published In Praise of Idleness and Other Essays. In it, he argued that if work were to be shared more equally among human beings, it would result in fewer hours spent working for all of us, unemployment would vanish, and our free time would increase. The effect of this would be a rise in the general happiness of the population and an increase in the number of people producing science and art. What we have instead are large numbers of people living with hunger and privation, while many others work long hours at the cost of their health and well-being. He pointed out that our modern-day methods of production give us the opportunity to live a life of ease, yet we have somehow managed to create a world where many of us are working longer hours than before mechanization. This makes us foolish. Russell's work is a collection of the subreddit, which, in 2019, prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, had around 13,000 subscribers. As the effects of the virus spread around the world and affected jobs, both in terms of people losing them and people being forced to work in potentially dangerous conditions, the popularity of the forum increased. In early 2020, the number of people on the subreddit went up to 100,000. With the increase in the number of people leaving their jobs, the group attracted media attention as users began posting screenshots of their texts to their bosses saying they no longer wished to work at their place of employment. By November 2021, there were over 1 million members. The following month, it hit over 1.4 million. And in January 2022, it was at 1.7 million. The pandemic brutally highlighted the inequalities across the working world. Many workers, particularly those in blue-collar jobs, found themselves forced to work in conditions that did not have adequate safety measures against being infected. If they did catch the coronavirus, they didn't have enough paid sick days to be able to recover properly. The closure of schools further increased pressure on parents to supervise their children at home, forcing some parents to take leave or those who were working at home to simultaneously juggle work and childcare. As the isolated months marched on, burnout and mental health issues increased, leading to many questioning the values of our society. The massive increase in wealth for billionaires such as Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, and Elon Musk during the same period only added to the sense for many that something in our society is deeply defective. Like many grassroots movements, the anti-work subreddit doesn't necessarily have a clear manifesto. It's a collection of people with different views and ideas brought together having identified a common problem. It's ultimately there to begin a conversation. Its members aren't against the concept of work itself, but rather how work is structured in a capitalist system. Some wish to improve conditions for workers and organize for labor rights, others to work for themselves. It has led to discussions about the value of work when there are a host of positions that add little to no value to society, although are often well paid. This is in stark contrast to jobs such as nurses, care home assistants, and teachers who are frequently paid poorly, almost as a penalty for the fact that doing these important jobs cannot be financially motivated. A Redditor recently wrote that his teenage son had just gotten a job delivering pizza where, including tips, he made in the region of $1.1819 per hour. On the other hand, his wife, a teacher with a master's degree, made $1.16 per hour. For many on the forum, this was yet another sign that capitalism doesn't value education unless money can be made from it. However, we all undeniably benefit from a well-educated population. Therefore, they argue capitalism's interests and societies may not be intertwined. Nobody is under any illusion that things will change overnight. However, the movement has certainly started conversations, even among those who are in opposition to it. 
Businesses hoping to make a profit by asking workers to work long hours in poor conditions for low pay are having to rethink. Many have already shut down. The issue has often been that we see ourselves and our work as one and the same. We let our work define us. Factory workers in the UK during the 1800s also worked in terrible conditions for long hours, but didn't suffer the same depression issues and burnout as we do. Why? Because their work was just what they did when they weren't with their friends and families. Nowadays, we separate ourselves from our loved ones to work with an unprecedented amount of pressure and isolation. The anti-work movement seeks to change that. The echoes of these ideas could still be felt generations from now. Listening, Part 1, Page 86, Script on Page 197 And with us here in the studio today is Pierre to discuss the anti-work movement. Pierre, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Have you always been anti-work? Not at all. To tell you the truth, I heard about the movement some time ago, and I thought it was just a bunch of people who were lazy. My family has a strong work ethic. We were raised to believe that working hard was what you needed to do to be successful. My dad worked around 60 to 70 hours a week when I was growing up. My mom worked two jobs as a receptionist and a fitness instructor after we'd all gone to school. We all got jobs to earn extra money as soon as we were old enough. I waited tables, and my little brother did a paper route. We were all busy all the time. So when did your attitude change? I spent six years working as a welder. I worked hard at my job. Really hard. I'm trained in all the departments so I can train others as well as do the job. I stayed late whenever I was asked to. Fridays, Saturdays, it didn't matter. I was always first in and last to leave. But after a while, I noticed that I was getting the same 0.5% raise as everyone else. Meanwhile, there's such a huge turnover in management that no one who I report knows me or remembers any of the hard work I've put in all these years. So I started to ask myself, what's the point of it all? I'm not getting promoted. I'm not getting the bonuses that senior management is seeing. So what did you do about it? Oh, I still work hard. Anti-work isn't about not working at all. Most of the people in the movement work. It's about deciding how you want to spend your energy and who you want to work for. I decided I wanted to work for myself. I learned so many skills on the job, plus I've always loved my motorbike. I'm a gearhead. So I started working for myself. I restore people's old cars and motorcycles. I took a hit in terms of pay, but I'm so much happier now. I'm starting to do custom work which pays more, and there's a bit of an art to it. It's so good to look at a car I fixed up, or when I soup up the engine of a bike. There's 100% more satisfaction to that than busting a gut to make money for a company that doesn't care about you. And are you happier now? Much more so. I had to shift my focus and my belief system, and that took a little while. I always thought I'd end up running my own department in a company. I wanted status and the respect of other people, and my need for that was what my happiness was built on. Now I'm the CEO of my own company, but I'm also the office boy. I've realized that my feeling of self-fulfillment was more about how I spent my time than what people thought about the time that I spent. These days, if I think I've done a good day's work, that's all that matters. That's the only approval that I need. My life has too much value to spend it working for someone who just sees me as a number. Thanks for coming in, Pierre. Much food for thought there. I see our lines are busy already. Let's see who we have on line one. Hey, thanks for listening. We hope that you enjoyed another lesson of Uncle Sam's American English. These audios are synced with our four-book series. Contact one of our professors or join our online course by visiting our Facebook page, Uncle Sam's International.